This is The Friendship File, where we flip open the blueprints behind some of the world's most important relationships, the ones we have with our friends. Two friends have each been sent the same set of questions. They've recorded their responses on their own and without consulting. Here is the combination of their answers. This time, Tony and Rowan. My name is Tony. My name is Rowan. I live in London. In Johannesburg. I'm 48, 48 years, years old, old. And I've known Rowan Tony or Spick since, since our first year at university. 1991. So coming up for 30 years now. Describe the very first moment you remember seeing them. It was outside a politics tutorial or something. We weren't in the same residence at university, but we ate in the same dining hall. And what struck me about him, his kind of attitude and demeanor was quite different from a lot of first-year varsity students. He had a kind of a wry indifference. So I was dimly aware of this pig pen-like character who would come barreling into the hall at breakfast times just before um, they closed the hall down for breakfast. Most people were just getting as hammered as possible, as often as possible, and talking the biggest load of crap while they were doing it. And would sort of fall face forward into a bowl of cereal and then fill his pockets with porridge and toast and bacon and things to take back to his girlfriend in, in his room. Whereas I was very much like a sheep. I was part of the swarming around and having a party. He, he seemed to have his own life and that was quite interesting. He definitely had that air about him of someone who's just finished uh, at their very posh school. They were away from their parents for the first time. So they were going to do everything they can just to leap over the cliff uh, and just launch themselves into the decadence of university. I would have been struck by how tall he was and he had a kind of strange gait, like a tall person who's trying to move too quickly, a bit like a kind of excited giraffe. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how flattering any of the sounds. When did that click happen? The moment you thought, yeah, I like you. Alcohol would have been involved. At one stage, he and I were sitting on a pavement outside a politics tutorial, and I don't know quite how we got onto the conversation. I said something flippant, and he said, oh, you don't know me. I said, well, no, I don't know anything about you. So he said, well, let me tell you about me. Let's go out for a drink. I remember a time we went to like a one-star hotel on the hill in Grahamstown, overlooking Grahamstown. We basically played an extended game of truth for the evening, where there were no rules except you just had to answer whatever question you were asked completely honestly. And we had about six trillion drinks and we discussed a lot of stuff. We spent the evening just talking about ourselves, our lives, our childhoods, um, where we came from, what we liked, what we didn't like, everything. Um, it was all sort of out there laid bare on the table. My life in res, first year res at the time, was about being woken up at three in the morning by somebody forcing you to drink six beers through a tube. You know, he wanted to talk and that was very compelling. It was on the 1st of August 1991. There's no ways he's going to remember that date, and he may not even remember the evening, except I think he probably does, somewhere deep in his darkened soul. What is your thing? The thing you do when you get together? Talking openly and honestly with alcohol and often with music. Definitely drinking and talking is our thing. There was a time when I came to live in Johannesburg where Tony took me in he would come and spend every weekend at our house and he had his own room at the house and he basically just arrived on a Friday and left on a Sunday and, and that was that. Where Tony and I every Friday night would drink a bottle of Hot Shots cinnamon schnapps 
which is unspeakably hideous. We went through a cinnamon schnapps phase. We would always go to Sam's Cafe in Melville uh, and we'd have supper. We'd have the same thing out of a Prego roll with an egg, which used to freak him out. Sometimes we'd venture out to Roxy's Rhythm Bar in Melville. Dancing really badly to some really okay bands. And kind of stand there at the counter staring at whatever act was on the stage and say like three words to each other. We then go back to my house and play the music game. Play something we call the music game, which, I mean, if I think about it now, it's kind of funny, but at the time we were so into it. It wasn't really a game. It was, we would sit in front of my hi-fi with my pile of CDs and we would play each other snippets of music. Which involved trawling through Tony's vast collection of horrendous music. He and I don't really see eye to eye in terms of what we like and what we don't like musically. Uh, he refuses to accept that I have um, a really strong good taste in music and I have a very broad taste in music. Like Kenny Rogers and Bread and Billy Joel. Oh, just awful, awful music. He diminishes it by reducing it to sort of being all about Billy Joel and Kenny Rogers, which is not entirely true, but it's also not entirely untrue. And testing each other or creating questions, so it became like a quiz. Trading shots of this horrendous liquid and doing that till like four in the morning. And then if you got the question wrong, you had to down something and drink. And if you got it right, then the other person had to down. It was really just an excuse to drink. The schnapps would do the trick and we would then, I don't know if we is the right word, but I definitely took all my clothes off and ran down the streets. And then I think Tony was also at some point doing the same thing. So we would play the music game for hours and hours on end on a Friday night. Police cars would pull up and ask us what we're doing. And I mean, it was pretty shambolic stuff. You got to know when to hold up, know when to fold up, know when to walk away, and know when to run. Who's better at keeping the communication going? I know that he's going to answer this question and say that he is way better than me at communicating, but that is just complete and utter shite. I think we've both been quite good at keeping contact over the years. We've been in different cities and now in different countries. We both have ebbs and flows in how we handle communicating with each other. Now the quality of communication, I would say, has differed. Tony is quite a hard nut to crack. There have been times of our friendship where we've spoken to each other every day, but there have been other times where we've gone for weeks or possibly even months without speaking to each other. Whereas I might, you know, someone asks me a direct question, I'll answer it. With Tony, you've got to work harder. It's like you've got to get to like level seven of the Puckman game before he like starts speaking in any kind of honesty. We both know that we have the safety net that at some point, if one of us made contact with the other and said, I really need to speak to you, it would be a matter of seconds or minutes before the phone conversation would happen. What is their best quality? It's hard. It's hard to sum that one up. I mean, Tony has always felt like he's in my corner. Always. Like, what is that? Loyalty. The way in which he's able to instantly get to the root of human relationships and the way that people are and the human motivation. It's love, honesty, kindness, 
It's friendship. Obviously, that's a big part of his career, what he does as a scriptwriter. But in day-to-day -day life, that's absolutely his strength as well. I mean, I do find that our relationship has got stronger over time. And that is a tribute to his commitment and investment in the friendship. And that's very useful as a friend. Because if I'm having a bad day and there's a work thing and it involves a whole bunch of people that he may never have met, I can sit and describe that to him and he would instantly understand and being present for his friends is absolutely something that he does extremely well. I mean, I've always felt safe with Tony. Like, he's, he's my guy. It's hard to explain what about his qualities that is, but it's a feeling rather than a, a description. What is it about them that drives you mad? Well, where should I start? Well, I mean, I mean, many things. I think the thing that probably drives me maddest is his inability to multitask life and people. I mean, just to, to start with the, the basics and the most important things. I mean, his music taste is diabolical. So he allows himself to get extremely bogged down in the mundanities of life, deadlines from work, pressures from work, uh, and sometimes he loses perspective. We were vast in the beginning of the 90s. There was real music happening. Nirvana was happening, Pearl Jam. Things were big, things were happening in terms of rock music and other types. And Tony insisted on being stuck in the kind of islands in the stream. And I think that's probably what frustrates me most about it. It doesn't make me cross. Um, it's quite difficult to get cross with him or to get angry with him. I mean, it does it drive me mad a little bit because he talks about music a lot. He li loves live music. He loves concerts and things like that. And then he will speak to me with great passion about having seen Billy Joel's greatest hits. And I'm just like, I'm like, does he, does he not know? Has he not met me? Um, I think he sometimes robs himself of some peace by not seeing the bigger picture and allowing himself to get weighed down by, by the detail. He's a big organizer. I'm a terrible organizer. So he, it tends towards being gently controlling. Is that... <laughs> if he's on a deadline for work, that's it. That, that's where his focus is. I suppose that's what makes him good at what he does. He likes to plan, especially if he's involved in it. So sometimes that's a little tricky because I feel like I'm the child and he's the dad. But it doesn't allow for a great balance. Um, and I think that's the most frustrating thing. In terms of driving me mad, genuinely nothing really. I mean, it's all just tiny little dynamic stuff. What do you think it is about you that drives them mad? I don't know. If anything, it's probably when he and I get together and we have an evening planned out and we're going to have some conversations. My inability to plan, to commit, to decide on a time to get the Uber at the right time, to, uh, yeah, to kind of get my shit together. What probably drives him mad is initially in the conversations, he'll say, how are you? I'll say, I'm fine. Um, and then about two hours later, it'll emerge that there was something that was bothering me. Possibly the lack of care or neglect that I have seemingly shown him or our friendship over the years. And I'm sure it frustrates him that I don't say that right at the outset when he says, how are you? Because he's very much like that. Uh, if I say, how are you? I will find out pretty quickly how he is. And also I have quite a robust mocking 
way of kind of speaking to him at times, and I think that's probably quite difficult to handle. So he's very quick um, at getting to that point in the conversation, um, uh, and I'm a little bit slow, and I think that probably frustrates him. But um, aside from those insignificant items, I'm sure very little. Talk about a time they really came through for you. We were at university, and I had a book from the Grahamstown Library that I had kept beyond the return date. Not just a day or two beyond, probably about a year and a half. Tone has been very supportive of me and what I'm doing and what I'm trying to do ever since I met him. I kept getting notifications through the post that um, I had to take this book back. And soon the police were going to come and fetch me and take me away because I hadn't returned this book. Um, whether it was trying to get me involved on radio or writing my English essays for me at Varsity. At the same time, he was slightly short of cash. So I thought, here we go. He can come through for me. He has come through for me uh, in many ways and in different layers. In some ways that are quite, I suppose, superficial and some ways that are much deeper. I think I gave him 20 rand in exchange for being the person to brave the librarian and take the book back from me, apologize to the librarian, pay the relevant fine, and then get the hell out of there. All of which he did. Well, he says he did. He may have thrown the book away and kept the fine money. I don't know. But I stopped getting notices from the library. So even though I can't think of a time necessarily when he saved me from a cliff face or anything dramatic like that. I'm not someone who talks very easily about themselves or about their feelings or about their lives. I know he's always there. He's in my corner and he will do anything for the benefit of our friendship. Where he really comes through for me is when he identifies that I need to talk about something, but I'm somehow battling to articulate it um, and he just leaps in boots and all that's a big thing and i think it's a rare thing for guys to have relationships like that deep in their late 40s and he's done that on so many occasions in the course of our friendship and i would say that's him coming through for me him being exactly who he needs to be at exactly the right time have you ever had a fight I mean, maybe the odd temper tantrum, but not throwing things, not a fight, fight. He'll probably give the example of the time where I prepared him <laughs> a roast dinner of some description uh, while we were at university. And he was out somewhere and he got drunk and he didn't turn up. What I remember more is, is moments of kind of abusive language, like calling each other names, perhaps neglecting the friendship or being careless with the friendship that has caused frustration and he eventually turned up at my flat at about three o'clock in the morning i didn't used to sleep with my door locked uh, he would just let himself in and stomp his way up the stairs to my bedroom turn the music on and jump around the room dancing to the music passive aggression not talking for a while i can't think of an actual fight i couldn't really be pissed off with him for long because it's still quite sweet and endearing um but I think I was a little bit annoyed with him because I felt sort of taken advantage of at the time. The thing about Tony is uh, that when things are at their best, one is talking openly and honestly with each other. And, and when things are not good, it's a lockdown. You know, it's inaccessible. I think the trauma of being crapped on for missing that dinner um, caused him to probably behave a little bit better for the next three decades, which means it was a result. Is there anything you've always wanted to apologise to them for or to explain, but have never got round to it? any apologies that have needed to be tendered over the years, I think we've made. 
I don't think so. I mean, I think through the course of our friendship, we have been quite good at apologizing when we've messed up. I don't think either of us is harboring anything or any resentment. There are many moments I, I, I would regret. Uh, I think I've been quite careless and taken the friendship for granted at times, which has been quite hurtful. And, and in general, I would want to apologize for that. I'd be fascinated to know if, if, if his answer is the same. There was a night he, that Tony had invited me to his house for dinner and he had spent hours cooking this roast beef and potatoes and it was amazing well it would have been amazing except i arrived like eight hours late and i was complete just like staggering around drunk and the meal was ruined and tony we didn't eat it and i don't think i really put up much of an apology that night i mean if i did it was slurred so for that, I do apologize and always have. But that's a tiny moment. Um, but I genuinely can't think of anything that um, I feel I should apologize to him for that I haven't already done. So, um, so no. I think it's amazing that we're even at the point we're at. Like, I think we should be grateful and happy about our friendship where it is now rather than apologetic. Give an example of your shared language, the sort of stuff that only you get. We don't really have a shared language except for we call each other my boy. I mean, aside from like, you know, calling each other names like, you know, Copper Pistol or Ginger Gimp. So it's my boy and that's it. You know, I might be a little bit more kind of dude. I mean, Tony doesn't say dude. I don't think he wants to be called dude either. Are they a good loser? I think he's a terrible loser. Um, he is extremely competitive in every aspect of everything that he does. I mean, he's definitely competitive, very competitive. Unfortunately, his talent in some areas doesn't always rise to the level of his mouth. He likes playing games, which I really, really hate. When he loses at whatever game it is, he is a dreadful loser. He wants to win. I don't think he likes to lose with certain people. He'll pretend to be gracious, but anyone who knows him, even an iota, will know that it is really burning. I don't think that applies to me. I mean, basically because he would feel that he wins all the time anyway, and I'm not much of an opponent. The great joy, I guess, about him is that he laughs at himself. Competitive, yes, but not a bad loser. Which is just as well, because a lot of the time, some people are laughing at him, and he can join in with that. What do you envy about them? He is practical. He understands technology. He is very smart, bright, and curious about things about the world that I'm not. I think I envy his insight sometimes and the fact that um, he is so readily able to leap in and analyze people and understand people and understand their motivation. He understands the rational mechanics of life more than I do. I mean, I, I do envy that. And his ability to, to always be honest. I hope that I'm always honest with him. His ability to so keep that honesty tap on all the time. He's a unwaveringly solid and loyal person once he decides to be. And I find that quite difficult. And not be selfish or self-indulgent, just to constantly be giving to others. That's just something that's amazing about him and that is makes one envious. I find that quality in him very admirable because I find it difficult in myself. He also has the world's most perfect teeth. It's almost like he's never eaten anything with sugar in it, which is quite extraordinary. Certainly no part of his body that I think is superior. I mean, he's, I don't know, six foot four, ginger, and uh, yeah. So yeah, let's, yeah. What have they done that has surprised you? 
Tony's ability to make a speech off the cuff always fascinated me. At university, I don't know that I ever would have said that he would have enough discipline to be a writer. Head of the National Arts Festival in Grahamstown. I was there visiting him for the festival and I remember being in a room and there were hundreds of people there. Because writing and writing the way that he does requires an enormous amount of self-discipline. You know, you're working from home, you've got to get up, you've got to go and sit at the computer and deliver. Tony was talking to me we were talking absolute rubbish. And then at one point, he just turned around and he literally delivered a 15-minute speech to this room full of people. To someone else's expectations and take a lot of feedback and criticism from those people, rewrite and so on. He introduced a banded opi copy with about three seconds warning. He went on stage in front of a whole crowd and introduced this band that he had never heard of, ever. When are they at their happiest? It would have to be, I think, when he's with his family, uh, when he's with uh, his wife and his kids and he's surrounded by them um, and he's spending time with them, particularly if he has no work anxiety at that particular point in time. Well, I would say it's the simple stuff. It's live music, talking, drinking, beer. When he's sitting and talking and having a sort of deep and meaningful chat with a friend like myself or one of his other friends, I like to think that he's happy in those situations as well. Being with a friend and not having the pressure of anything intruding on that moment. It's, it's very sort of honest happiness. It's just about appreciating the good things and the good times uh, when they happen and, and not just letting them slip him by. Feeling as though he's connecting with someone and that's it. If they were a food, what food would they be? So when I think of food, I think of something that Tony used to do, still does do on occasion, special requests, which we call the roast chicken. I have no idea. Something with lots of colors and something extremely complex. And what this is, is a party trick Tony used to do where he would configure his genitals into various positions like by tucking them in and pocketing them that doesn't have one taste or another it's neither sweet nor salty where the final presentation would be i suppose what you would call like the last chicken in the shop i guess it'd be a good thai curry the one that everyone picks up and puts back and prods uncooked with noodles probably um, and prawns, because he's a bit like a prawn. White, kind of hairy, uh, speckly, not attractive. Anyway, this was his party trick. He would pull it out every now and again. People would be running for the doorways. It was it was beyond excruciating. Yeah, a Thai curry with prawn. I know that's not a food answer, but the roast chicken is legendary, and, and that's what I think of when I think of food. If they suddenly disappeared from this world... What is the one thing that you would lose that you cannot get anywhere else? I think what I'd lose is that one person who has known me for a long time. Someone who I think has a great deal of affection and time and love for me. The person he is in my life is kind of integral to who I am in the world. It's not often that you, know, you get these really deep, long-standing male friendships. They're certainly not ones that you can start when you're 40 or 50 years old. Very rare to have friendships, I think, in our late 40s that are intimate and close and honest and real anyway. 
but to have it with a male is very rare. The longevity of what he and I have, the specialness of the way it started, um, and the way that he and I have both nurtured it over the years, is not something that I think can ever be replicated. What is the meaning of life? It's about discovering who you are. And friends like him help you discover who you are, or they reflect back at you who you are. So if you weren't around, I think I would lose that bedrock, that really solid mate who I don't need to start from scratch with. It's extremely special, and it would be really, really sad to lose that. What I would miss most is is a piece of me would be missing. Before anyone else heard the answers to the questions, the friends got a chance to listen to each other and to react. I think the striking thing for me is how similar our answers were. I realise there are a few things I object to. Does that make us boring, possibly? Number one is his warbling on about my inability to multitask life and people. What he is right about is how shit at life he is. His understanding of a deadline is different from my understanding of a deadline. But only some bits of life, the bits that pertain to staying alive, existing on the planet and being alive. My deadlines confirm whether I'm going to have another job at all for the rest of my life. Whereas his deadlines is what he does at 4.30pm when he knocks off. He's good at other bits, being connected to people and remembering what's important. That I'm competitive. What is that? I've never heard that from him or thought that, but maybe that's true. Now I'm going to think about it for the, like the next week. He got the roast chicken concept and question completely wrong. I think he misunderstood the question. The other thing is he called me a script writer. I mean, really. I'm not sure why he had to mention that. We're both older, wiser, we've, we've moved on. Script writer is something from studio movies of the 1930s. For the record, I never wrote an English essay for him. That was complete fiction. He used to use my typewriter to write his essays, and I'd look over his shoulder and helpfully point out the shit bits. I completely disagree with him that he is a better communicator than me. Did he even imply that? I know that he secretly likes Billy Joel too. It's just a pity that the honesty that we spoke of in the friendship doesn't really extend to him feeling that he can articulate that. Um, so he's in this Billy Joel closet. He is a shocking communicator. He is only drawn out through... Extensive alcohol and begging. It was weird. I enjoyed the experience and having this strange, mediated, publicly intimate conversation. It completely goes against the grain, but it was good to do. I have enjoyed doing this. I found it quite difficult at times because speaking about male relationships is very unusual. Uh, with Tony, it's a lot easier. I'm also glad that both he and I, in our respective worlds, have developed a friendship that is a great example to our kids of what friendships can be. It was great. I loved it. I felt like giving Tony a big hug. That's something that back when we were first year university students, I never would have predicted or anticipated or, or, or felt that I would be able to say 30 years later. I would strongly suggest that you put us in your next season as one of those checkups to see how everyone is a year later. I look forward to the next 30 years of friendship um, and we can do this again in 30 years time. Thank you for listening to this edition of The Friendship File. Search for us wherever you get your podcasts and there are lots of other files to listen to. Please leave us a review and a star rating so that more people can find us and visit our website, thefriendshipfile.com. The music for The Friendship File is composed by James Lancaster, one half of Watkering, and you can find them, including their new album, on Spotify and Apple Music.
The Friendship File is a podcast production. Till the next time, goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>